Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I am very grateful for another opportunity to study the Bible with you, to have a nice Bible conversation. It's going to be a very one-sided conversation, as it's just me today. I do have some guests lined up, though, and I have that New Year's motivation to have some more guests uh, prepared and, and uh, maybe not in studio. They're going to be joining me on Zencaster. But we're going to try some things and have some new people coming in, so stay with me. And hopefully across the next few weeks, we'll see some new faces. Well, maybe I will. You'll hear new voices on this program. So thank you, and Happy New Year if you're listening around the time that this episode is coming out. Um, and, you know, for those who are listening in later months, I hope you're having a great time in the middle of the year, whatever year it may be that you listen to it. So I have a Bible verse that I have wanted to share. And, and in fact, it's been on my heart for months and months. And just yesterday, I finally had the opportunity to preach on it at Valley Parkway the church that I work with in Louisville, Texas. And uh, I really felt like it was helpful for me, for my local congregation, and I think it would be helpful for our listeners as well. Now, the Bible verse is from Romans chapter 11, and it deals with a farming technique that was used commonly in ancient times, but it's also used uh, today as well because I found a YouTube video of, of olive grafting. And uh, so I might try to put that YouTube link um, on my website. So maybe go to the page for this podcast on my web page, uh, pureandsimplebible.com backslash podcast, and uh, look for that YouTube video if you want to see a visual. And uh, the way that I started this sermon, however, was not with uh, the olive grafting example, but rather with a beekeeping example. So I'm a beekeeper. And I've done that for, I think, going on four years now. And uh, it's an interesting hobby. It's for people who are a little bit crazy and uh, enjoy horticulture and farming. And so I, I am a little bit crazy, and I enjoy gardening. So I wanted to try beekeeping several years ago, and uh, so I did it, and I still do it. And what's interesting about beekeeping is how much work and how much money goes into it before you get to even enjoy the deliciousness of honey. We're talking so many hours, so many stings, and so much fretting over these little creatures. And uh, But in this particular example, what I wanted to share is that sometimes there are pests that can get in the hive, that once they're in the hive, there's nothing you can do except for throw out the parts that have been overridden by these pests. The one that I have experience with is the um, wax moth and their larvae. And so if the hive isn't big enough for, if the colony isn't big enough to control their entire, um, uh, I guess, hive area, then wax moths will come into the, the corners and in the dark spots, and they like it because it's dry and uh, it's warm. They, they, there's not a lot of predators in around, obviously. Uh, and so they will lay their eggs in the empty cells of these honey frames and uh, the the wax frames and then when the larvae come out they will they will spin more web and uh, they will 
just cocoon themselves and, and overtake and destroy a lot of, of hard work that the bees have put into. So when I find wax moth larvae, it's a very alarming thing, and I have to throw out that um, honey frame. And so the honey or the pollen or the even the, the eggs, the bee eggs and their larvae that are on there, I'm going to have to throw it out because all of those wax moth larvae are going to spread through the whole hive. I have to get rid of it. And, uh, it's you know, it's sad to throw away good work in the trash can, but even worse is uh, American fowl brood, which I believe is a type of fungus. I've never had it, but I've heard of American fowl brood that when you have it, you have to burn the whole colony because it will destroy the whole colony. And even if you think you got rid of it by getting rid of just one frame, you've got to throw the whole thing out. So that's a common example, and it is kind of unique to me, but it's a common example of when something's bad, it has to be cut out from that which is good. Otherwise, it will infect all that is good. Now, you, you could make tons of spiritual examples with that, right? And I could too. We could come up with a lot of applications. But that's my own beekeeper analogy for another analogy that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 11. He uses the example of olive grafts. G-R-A-F-T, by the way, graft. I'll try to enunciate it. But these olive grafts, not, not a graph, G-R-A-P-H. Uh, we're not graphing on paper olive trees. But rather, uh, I don't have any experience whatsoever. You could go check out that YouTube video, or you could just you know do a YouTube search for olive grafting. And um, you would find that there are trees, and it's not just olives. There's a lot of different species of, of fruit trees uh, that that are that we graft different branches onto but sometimes the old branches don't produce anymore and they're kind of done they're spent so they are um, pruned off and then a notch is put into the main stem or the main uh, trunk I guess we should say of the olive tree and a new branch is grafted in, something that's been grown or maybe it's been snipped off from a wild olive tree and it's obviously a productive branch and they will they will put that into the um, original olive tree because the uh, trunk was still good, the roots were still good, it was just some of the branches that, that weren't productive anymore. And Paul uses that example to talk about how uh, the Jewish nation of the Old Testament had ultimately been rejected by God because they saw salvation as their birthright and that it wasn't about faith. It was about what they deserved. They felt like they had this privilege that they deserved to be saved and how when God turned to the Gentiles because they were responding in faith, one of the questions in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that a Jewish audience might ask back in those times. You know, a Jewish audience that had over a thousand years of pedigree and then learns that God is now made a covenant with Gentile people, with people of all over the world. One of the questions or the accusations might be, how can God be faithful? How can God be faithful? This God who made promises and made covenants is just going to abandon his covenants and abandon his promises? Such a God is not worth following. That's kind of the hypothetical issue that Paul is dealing with here. And uh, certainly we could go down that 
uh, Bible study rabbit hole of did God really abandon his people? Did God really break his promises or his covenant? For the sake of, of the topic that I'm bringing up today, I will go ahead and tell you the answer is no. God never broke his covenant promises. God always fulfilled his end of the bargain because God's covenants have always been conditioned on faith. And, and faith is, in its most simple form, hearing, believing, and obeying God. I think you'll find that, whether it's back in the Old Testament before the Law of Moses, you know, Noah had to hear, believe, and obey God. He had to listen to what God said. He had to believe that the flood was coming, but he also had to build the ark. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham uh, God promised him a land. God promised him a people. God promised him an inheritance. He promised him offspring. Abraham had to hear God and believe God, but he also had to follow through with what God had said. He had to leave his homeland and move to this foreign country. He had to uh, have faith that, that he and Sarah could have a baby, even though he was well, well, well past, and so is she, the age of naturally of, of having children. And so this hear, believe, obey pattern, it goes from Noah through Abraham, through Moses, through the Israelites, through David, through all those covenants. And then in the new age, the Christian age, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. What is faith? It's hearing, believing, and obeying. Now, the scripture that I'm reading is Romans chapter 11 and... We're going to start in verse 13. So you could listen along, or if you wanted to follow and you had a Bible handy, you could flip over there and read along with me. But Paul's going to start it. Um, there's, there's a lot of verbiage here, right? So try to stay with me. In verse 13 it says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, and I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul starts out in this section saying that he would be tickled if some Jewish people became jealous that Gentiles were being saved and that that jealousy would inspire them to obey the gospel themselves. He's not above uh, using some of these, I guess, uh, I don't know if I could call them a, you know, mind games, but he sees that, that there are different things that motivate us towards Christ. Some people are motivated out of fear. Some people are motivated out of love, out of hope for the good news, or out of jealousy, where they see others enjoying this covenant and this blessed life that, that they didn't have. And so whatever our motivation was for becoming a Christian, uh, that motivation, which is different, inspires the same conclusion, and that is that we're saved from sin and death and the wrath of God. Now let's keep reading. Verse 15, For if there talking about Israel, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Ooh, there's our first glimpse at this analogy of root and branches. And I'm going to keep reading a little bit more, okay? Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root 
that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. I, I need to read a few more verses, but I want to pause and, you know, help us to maybe visualize this a little bit better. We have an olive tree. It is the olive tree of faith, right? And so in this olive tree of faith, the, it, Abraham, is he can still be the, the base. He's the father of faith, right? And his natural born, if they don't have faith, will be clipped off, right? Because they don't have faith. They think it's their birthright. And then these Gentiles can be grafted in by faith and produce the fruits that faith should, which uh, the fruits of the Spirit. We'll talk about those more in a little bit. But the Gentiles, apparently, were having a similar struggle. It's crazy how it happened so quickly. They were having a similar struggle that all of God's people have had from the beginning of time, really, and that is getting comfortable with salvation as though it's this birthright instead of something that is a, a gracious free gift of God that none of us really deserve, and yet he's graciously given it to us. Because remember it said uh, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand through faith, so do not be proud but fear. Listen to verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Brother and sister and friend, here's the the heart of this teaching for us today. Now, I, I think contextually, yes, it is about the Jews and the Gentiles of that time, but I think a great application is this. It's really easy for those who have been raised in the church, been around the church, and all you've ever known is the church. It's very easy for us to think we deserve to be saved. And for those who may be found the Lord's Church. Maybe you came in later in life and, and you were baptized for the remission of sins and you uh, you, know, you strove and found uh, this gospel on your own. You weren't raised that way. Even you, we can all get comfortable where we think, you know what? Sunday is for thee, but Monday through Saturday is for me. And we start giving God a day of the week, perhaps. We have this mindset of, well, I gathered with the saints and I, I worship God in spirit and truth. And suddenly that excuse of on Sunday, I worship God in spirit and truth is now giving us, in our mind anyway, a license to live for self the other days of the week. And, and we rationalize it by saying, well, I'm part of the church. And so I deserve to be saved because I'm already in it and I'm already a part of the church. And uh, so uh, God's going to be a little bit more gracious with me, even though I'm doing some things that maybe people who weren't baptized, if they did the same thing, then God would send them to hell. Now, it's easy to look at others and say, yeah, that's right. But what I, Jonathan, am trying to tell you, listener, is this. Don't let your comfort, whether you've been raised in this and it's all you've known or whether you, you found truth later in life and, and you join don't let your comfort become an excuse for sinful behavior don't let your comfort make you think that you somehow deserve to be saved 
because you're part of this and you made a decision years ago to be a part of it. Remember what the Bible says. For God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. I like the King James in the next verse. Behold, the goodness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but goodness to you if you continue in faith. Ooh, I like that. I'm kind of joining a couple of verses there. But the idea is that when we have faith, and that is to hear, believe, and obey, right? When we hear, believe, and obey, then we are grafted into this olive tree of faith, that we're part of uh, this family of God, and we are producing fruit for the Lord. Now, I have a couple other verses I want to share that um, I think are helpful to this, this picture. And in fact, the, the name of this episode is called Abide in Me, which you really didn't see that in Romans chapter 11, but you will see it in these two verses I'm about to share. And the reason I wanted it to be Abide in Me is I, I gave this at home as kind of a New Year's sermon. You know, it's a new year, and uh, we, we want to motivate people to take the Lord seriously all seven days of the week. And to do that, we need to abide in Jesus. The word abide in the Bible simply means to stay, you know, like you're at home, and to remain or to continue in, that you're safe within this uh, relationship that you have with the Lord. And listen to Jesus' words in John 15 where he, you, he does use the word abide. And he does give us this idea of abiding in me. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You know, there's so much there, and it's not the purpose of this study. But I, I do have to at least say this about pruning. Nobody likes to be pruned. Plants don't like to be pruned. They put effort into that growth. And yet, if you have a little bit of a green thumb, you know that by pruning plants, especially in the wintertime, or whenever they've shot up real quick, but that new growth isn't helpful for whatever fruit they're producing, pruning hurts, but pruning helps. And when we accept the Lord's help, and when he prunes us, many times we're confused because of the things that have been taken away from us. And we forget that the Lord is trying to help us grow by staying in the vine. So think about that. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'm going to just mention this, uh, that we, we can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. Now, the, the fruits that we're going to talk about, the good works, uh, yes, literally people can do good things not in the name of Jesus. It's obvious. You can look around that there are organizations, groups, individuals. People are interested in doing good works, and many times they're not doing it in the name of Jesus. So uh, this verse isn't saying that it's not possible to do good works unless you're a Christian. Well, what it is suggesting is that, and we can't judge the intent or heart of anyone, but we can know that what the fruits lead to ultimately. And fruits that are done in Christ, 
lead to the glory of God and a reward in heaven. We recognize when we do good deeds, when our works are done, that it's not about us and it's all about Jesus. And putting your faith in the fruit itself, putting your faith in works, is this, this dependence on works. That's legalism, where you think, I don't need Jesus. I'll just do good works, and somehow God's going to let me into heaven because of my good works. Brothers, sisters, friends, don't deceive yourselves into thinking that you can somehow tally enough good works on your own to get in without Jesus Christ's sacrifice. It will not happen. So the question remains, how do we abide in Jesus? And Jesus answers it here, and then in the second scripture that I'm going to bring up as well. Look at verse 9. There the Bible says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And he goes on to talk about what the commandment is. Specifically in this verse 12, he says, This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And so Jesus makes synonymous the idea of obeying God and love. And that's kind of the springboard that I want to use into the final big verse. I do have a couple of other verses I might mention, but the final big verse of this podcast episode is in 1 John 4, and I want to end with these practical ways that we can abide in Jesus. And what's interesting is in John 15, we just read it, Jesus said, if you want to abide in me, you'll obey my commands. And there's over a thousand commands in the New Testament. We don't have time to talk about every one. But he, he made obedience synonymous with love. And that should tell us how important it is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. These commands matter. And if you want to abide in Jesus, then you will be actively working on loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, and the section is verse 7 through 21, though I won't read all the verses, I want you to listen to this verse first. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now that's gospel truth right there. God is love. And while it's not necessarily related to the premise of this podcast, I can't help but make this point and encourage you to maybe have a more complete, healthy view of love. God is love, but that doesn't mean that love is God. The idea of love itself and what love subjectively means to each person, you know, we don't put love on the pedestal as divine. We use love uh, as an attribute of God because God is love. But that doesn't say we have a license to do anything we want in the name of love. And that really does stand counterculture. Uh, you know, when people 
have hashtags and sign that say love wins, uh, love conquers all, love is love, and, and etc. And, and all that goes with that. I think that is an example of love is God. But God is love means that this same God who is just and has righteous standards, who has a law that is to be kept, that has a wrath that will be given upon sinful man, this same God also is love, and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. But the difference is that this God of love will still be a God of wrath for those that do not obey. Whereas in the love is God movement, it really is an excuse or an opportunity for one to do whatever they want, be with whoever they want, and say there are no consequences spiritually to my actions because love is supreme. The Bible doesn't teach that. So, I, you know, it wasn't necessarily related to this content, but I can't help but read that verse and, and think some of these thoughts as, as people do go down this path towards love being their God. What three things in 1 John 4 does the Bible actually say we need to do to abide in Jesus? Well, we've already talked about the first one, which is to love God and love others, and that's how we abide in God. We see that here. It says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the way that we can demonstrate that the love of God is within us is to show love to others, especially those of the household of faith, as other scriptures suggest. Listen, we need to be known as, as good, kind, hospitable people. The world needs more of that right now more than ever. So brethren, I encourage you, and friends, I encourage you to be a people of love. That's not the only abide command in 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. I love that verse. I love how it frames it. We can know that we abide in him because he's given us of his spirit. Now the way that the spirit indwells in us, I'm familiar with a couple of different views on how the spirit indwells. And I don't think any of us, uh, at least that I know of, and this can be a very ignorant comment, I suppose, but I'm not aware of any of us who deny that the Spirit indwells. But how he indwells is where the discussion often maybe gets stuck. And I'm not going to go down that path right now. We know that we have been given the Spirit of God. We know that. And what's interesting is the scripture I'd like to bring into this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23. And that is the fruits of the Spirit. Do you want to know how to know the Spirit is within and how the, the, we have been given the Spirit that we would be producing the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, when it talks about love and sincerity, self-control, the other fruits of the Spirit as well, these things are manifest they're obvious that the Spirit is within us, that we have God's Spirit. And the works of the flesh show us that we don't have God's Spirit within us, which is the verse right before that in Galatians 5. 
So if you want to have this abiding relationship with Jesus, if you want to partake in the spirit that's been given, then the fruits that you will be manifesting is obeying the Lord's commands. When we obey these commands to love one another, to practice self-control, uh, etc., all of these are evidences that the Spirit is within. Finally, in verse 15, the Bible says, 1 John 4, 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And he summarizes it, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Confessing Christ is more than saying words. And if you want to abide in Jesus, then you will confess Jesus. And that we could use Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. There's other scriptures that talk about both a lifestyle confession, but also just the the life that continues to tell others what Jesus has done for us. It could be that we're saying to someone, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but it could also be us saying, hey, uh, listen to what Jesus has done for me. Or I, I used to be one way, but now I'm completely different by what Jesus has done. So I would challenge you, if you want to abide in Jesus, to love, to have the Spirit within and to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And by having this uh, attitude and good work of love towards others, this attitude and diligence of Bible study and producing the fruits of the Spirit's commands, and by continuing to share and uh, tell others what Jesus has done for you, then we will have the abiding presence of Jesus, and we won't have to worry about being that dead twig that gets cut off and pruned because we weren't producing fruit. That's my conversation with you for the day where I suppose you're the silent partner in it. And uh, I look forward to feedback. If anybody has a comment or a question or a suggestion, you can always email me, pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. Check out the website for a bunch of resources that are yours available to use, absolutely free to download. And especially in this new time of people are motivated to do Bible studies, you're interested in uh, sharing the gospel with others, check out Pure and Simple Bible's study series, the Redemption series, the Bible series, the Church series, the Let's Talk About Jesus series. These workbooks are very helpful, and I'm fairly certain that, that almost every year since I produced them, I know I and others have used them with great success to both baptize, ultimately baptize people, and also to edify, train, and ground people in the faith. So check them out at the website, pureandsimplebible.com. And until next week, remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true about a judge by the